My name is Richard Quayle. I'm English, though I've lived in Australia most of my life. I'm telling you this story because I want to get it off my chest. Tomorrow I leave Australia to take a job in South Africa. And I want to put the past behind me once and for all. I'm going to tell it to you in as much detail as I can remember. It all started, as far as I'm concerned, on that day two years ago, when I tried to telephone my girlfriend, Anna Matheson, to say that I was coming to see her in Melbourne. Hello? Hello, is that the Buwara Hotel? Yes. Richard Quayle here, speaking from Sydney. Would you put me through to Miss Anna Matheson, please? One moment. Hello? I asked you to put me through to Miss Matheson's room. She's not answering. Oh, well, go on trying, will you? She's not answering, sir. Okay, okay, I'll wait. I never got through. An hour later, I was at Sydney Airport. Just before 5.30 p.m., I'd settled myself in the plane due to arrive in Melbourne at 7.35. I was really excited at the thought of seeing Anna again. I'd kept my side of the bargain. I hadn't written or tried to see her for four months. I wonder what she'll say when I ask her to marry me, I thought. <laughs> Probably laugh at me. After all, we've been living together for years. She seemed pretty keen on the idea when I last saw her. Then, then the air hostess came towards me. Dinner, sir? Yes, please, and a large brandy and ginger ale. Certainly, sir. Uh, look oh, out. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Oh, that's all right, sister. Dinner for me, too, and uh, I'll have a double whiskey and water. A very fat man squeezed past the air hostess and sat next to me. I'd noticed him earlier, talking to a little wizened guy a few seats ahead of me. He was about 40, broad shoulders, tall, fat as a pig, but very powerfully built. He wore glasses, had a tough red face, and his hair was dark and crew-cut. I rather liked him. Uh, well... My name's Guy Brooks. What's yours? Richard Quayle. Not Australian, are you? I was born in England, but I emigrated to Australia in my teens. I live in Sydney. Yeah, me too. Going to Melbourne on business? Uh-uh. Pleasure. Well, it's <laughs> business for me. My father runs a real estate business in Melbourne and another in Sydney. He's in Europe just now, and I'm acting as his stand-in. <laughs> well, that's an odd expression for a businessman to use. My girlfriend is an actress, and she talks like that. Oh, I've had several actress girlfriends. <laughs> Businessmen get around, you know. <laughs> what do you do? Pilot on Aussie. Pilot in the war, I suppose. Yes, that's right. I joined up when I was 17. Did my stint and then found out that I wasn't exactly cut out for anything else when the war was over. I'm looking round now for something to do when my retirement comes up. We all of us plan for that. <laughs> we have a pretty tough medical every six months, and there's always a day when we may fail it. Uh, do you know many people in Melbourne? Not many. Haven't been there too often. Just the girlfriend, eh? <laughs> Sorry, but you did say you were going over for pleasure. That's right, I did. Well, where are you staying? At the Meteor. Oh, it's a nice pub. Clean as a whistle and excellent service. Well, if you feel like it, give me a ring any time. I'm oh. glad to see you. Uh, here's my card. Oh. Yeah, thanks. G.M. Brooks, the shutters, Turak Road. I may take you up on that. Oh, do that. Do that, please. I checked in at the Meteor and asked the porter if there were any messages. He said there were none, and a snotty little page took me to my room on the first floor. It was a decent room, clean and homely, as Brooks had said, with a bathroom off to the left. 
I went straight to the telephone. Get me the Buona Hotel and hurry. Hello? Hello, is that the Buona Hotel? Yes, sir. Oh, put me through to Miss Anna Matheson, will you? Very good, sir. Well, go on trying, will you? But it was no use. She didn't answer. I took a taxi to the Buona and told the driver to step on it. I was definitely worried now. It was dark by this time with a hot, gusty wind. I couldn't see where we were going, but noticed that at one point we crossed the Yarrow River. The hotel was in a small back street, and frankly, it was a dump. The foyer was badly lit and depressing in the extreme. What was Anna doing living in a place like this? She wasn't pressed for money. The seedy-looking porter was cleaning his nails as I went in, and he went right ahead cleaning them. The faded blonde at the reception desk smiled grimly. There's something for you? Oh, my name is Richard Quayle. I want to see Miss Matheson, please. She's expecting me. Well, you'd better go on up, then. Room 32, third floor. Lift to the left. The number, 32, was fixed in white plastic on the black door, and a do-not-disturb sign was hanging on the door handle. I knocked. No answer. The door was slightly ajar, so I pushed it. The room was in darkness, except for the glow from an electric fire. I groped for the light switch and turned on the light. Anna was lying face downwards on the bed, fully clothed. Anna, I said. Anna, wake up. It's Richard. I shook her gently. She rolled onto her back as I shook her. She was dead. I looked at her unbelievingly and took her in my arms. There was a sudden violent crash behind me and I leapt to my feet, scared out of my wits. The window curtains, which were not drawn, billowed away from the open window and I realized that a gust of wind had slammed the bedroom door. I laid Anna gently back on the pillow and kissed her hair. Then I looked round the room. It was the hell of a room, sordid in the extreme, but nothing seemed out of place. Anna's makeup, brush and comb, and a bottle of scent I had given her stood tidily on the cheap dressing table. Her dressing gown was draped neatly over a chair. The wardrobe door was open and the clothes were hanging undisturbed. I felt I wanted to howl like a child. I went to the window and looked out. I couldn't see much. On the other side of the street, a neon sign shone out. Sunshine Cafe, it said. And above the sign, in a room evidently on the first floor, the lights were suddenly switched off. It was then that I noticed the smell in the room. I suppose I'd been too strung up to notice it before. It was a faint but persistent smell of mold. But there was something odd about it. I picked up the telephone. When the girl answered, I said, get me a doctor, Miss Matheson is dead. The girl gasped and said she'd get the manager. No, get a doctor, I shouted, but she cut me off. The manager arrived almost at once, a nervous little Italian with a drawn, swarthy face and large ears. I am the manager. Who are you? What do you do here? I'm Miss Matheson's fiancée. I've just flown in from Sydney to see her and found her dead. Yes, Morta. What for she want to die here? We have the difficult times, my wife and I, and just when things are beginning to look good, this woman comes to die here. 
You had better go no good for the hotel. You'd better ring for a doctor, hadn't you? Why is she not die somewhere else? Ring for a doctor, damn you. What's the matter with this place, for God's sake? I see a doctor. I get one. Pronto, pronto. Pronto. Ah, get me Dr. Manton, Phyllis. Tell him to come to room 32. Grazie tanto. Have you got telephones in all the rooms? No, only in two. This one and the one next door. They're all part of the one suite. This room connects with the bathroom next door. You see that room by the wardrobe? Yes. Through there is another bedroom. This room here used to be the sitting room. Anyone there now? Yes. Who? He lives here, but he's away now. What's his name? Leonard, Mr. Leonard. What sort of a chap is he? Oh, he's a traveler, a big man. My wife likes him, Walter Bene, very much. All the women like him. When did he go away? This morning, I think. Well, has he been here long? This time? Oh, four months. Four months? Are you sure? Magertamente, of course I'm sure. It was exactly four months since Anna had left me in Sydney to come to Melbourne. Had she come to see this man, Leonard? Was that why I was not to write or phone her? It certainly began to look like it. Though I couldn't believe it, really. The doctor soon arrived and examined Anna. I stood looking out of the window. Now, what do you think, Dr. Manton? Oh, I don't like the look of it. She's a big, healthy-looking girl. This young man says she's 27. If she has taken her own life, the police must be in on it. The um, sooner no. the better. But she couldn't have taken her own life. She wasn't the type. Well, not everyone who commits suicide has suicidal tendencies, you know. It's a really popular misconception. Yeah, she may have been the situation which caused her to despair, a, a dilemma from which she saw no escape and therefore no hope. Yes, but she knew I was coming to see her today. So why today of all days? Mm. Have you ever known her to threaten to kill herself before? Never. Mm. Uh, give me police headquarters, FJ-999. Oh, no police here, Dr. Manton. I know it's my hotel reputation ruined. I don't want mine ruined either. Uh, Hello? Uh, Dr. Manton here. Give me D-24. Now, put me through to homicide, please. It was a lie, of course. I mean about her never threatening to kill herself. Our affair hadn't been an easy one all the way through. Anna had wanted marriage, and I was against it. I'd had marriage in a big way with my first wife, and I wasn't looking for more. Within ten minutes, the police arrived, two tall and powerful men. The senior detective was called Transom, and the other man, of Brown, I think. They took a story from the manager first and wrote it down. Anna had come to live here four months ago, he said. She seemed to have plenty of money, she was well-liked, very kind, but she wasn't happy. She was good friends with Mr. Leonard from next door. The manager looked at me out of the corner of his eyes as he said this, and I could have kicked him. Then they took a statement from Dr. Manton. Pupils of the eyes dilated, time of death extremely uncertain. Oh, the fire was on and the window open when Quayle arrived. Hmm, strange. Time of death anything from 12 to 20 hours ago. No, he couldn't put it more exactly. The doctor went. And Transom told Brown to take possession of Anna's tooth glass or any container she could have drunk from and to search the place for sleeping pills, patent medicine and so on. Then he turned to me. I told him all I knew, and also gave him Anna's mother's address in Adelaide. Her father is dead. Her father, dead. Uh, by the way, Mr. Quayle, you'd uh, better stick around Melbourne for a bit. You'll be wanted at the inquest. When will that be? Oh, it all depends on a post-mortem. Maybe a matter of days, maybe a few weeks. A few weeks? I thought they were always held at once. Did you? Yeah, then you thought wrong. You'd better get on to Aussie and explain. Hmm? Yes, yes, I will. Now, why don't you cut along? We've, uh, we've got to get your girlfriend out of here. Well, 
Where will you be taking her? I'm afraid she'll have to go to the mortuary, son. I took a last look at Anna. She looked very beautiful, very peaceful, very young. I got the hell out of it. I had a bad night, got up early and tried to shave with shaking hands. It was pouring with rain. I couldn't eat breakfast. I was thinking about Anna all the time. I couldn't help wondering if I were responsible for her death and the thought that she might have committed suicide because of me was nearly driving me out of my mind. Brooks, the fat man on the aircraft, rang soon after breakfast and asked me to lunch. I accepted because, well, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself all day. Then there was a knock at the door. And when I went to it, there were two strange men outside. We're from Homicide. My name's Peter, this is Sergeant Codner. Oh, come in, please. Thanks. We'd like to go over your story again, if you don't mind. Why? Transom wrote down everything I said. I have nothing to add. Last night, there was a chance Miss Matheson died a natural death, or at the worst, committed suicide. Today, we have every reason to believe it was murder. Murder? But how could it be murder? She was poisoned with strychnine. Strychnine? But that just doesn't make sense. I mean, who would want to murder a sweet girl like Anna? That's what we're here to find out, sir. Well... Will you have a drink? No, thanks. Uh, no, thanks. Do you mind if I do? Yeah, go ahead. How long have you known Miss Matheson? Tell us everything you know about her. When you met, who her friends were, what she was like. Everything. I first met Anna five years ago. We met here in Melbourne. I'd just been divorced by my wife and I was feeling rather fed up with life in general. It isn't much fun getting a divorce. Anyway, I found I couldn't stick Sydney anymore for a bit, so I came here. I tried to plunge into the mad gay world in Melbourne. But there isn't a mad gay world in Melbourne, is there? And then I... Then I met Anna. She was vaguely connected with a little theatre. She acted there sometimes. Quite a good actress, too, I'm told. Well, we... We fell for each other. We began meeting all over the place. Melbourne, Sydney, Johannesburg, all over. Anna has... I mean... She had quite a bit of money of her own. This following me around Lark went on for about four years, and then four months ago it stopped. Anna came back here, and I went on as usual with my job in Aussie. You say Miss Matheson stopped following you around four months ago? Yes. You didn't have any kind of quarrel, I suppose, sir? Well, yes, we did. Care to tell me what about? Miss Matheson felt the time had come for us to get married. Uh -huh. And you, sir? Well, by yesterday I got around to thinking she was right. I see, sir. By the way, do you know anything about Leonard, the chap who was living next door to her at the Buona? We're checking on him. Why? Oh, no reason. Ever heard of Felix Milton, sir? No. Why? Miss Matheson was at his house at a party the night before she died. There and then I decided to meet Felix Milton. When I joined Brooks at the restaurant one o'clock, he'd already heard of Anna's death from the police, who checked on my statement that we'd travelled from Sydney together. One way or another, you've had a tough time, mate. Lucky for you, we talked on that journey. Yes, I suppose so. Well, uh, I, um, I suppose the police will check that you've been in Sydney for some time. What do you mean? Well, Sydney and Melbourne aren't that far apart, especially you flying types, sir. An alibi would come in handy, wouldn't it? I'd rather not talk about it, if you don't mind. Okay, I'm sorry. By the way... You ever heard of a man called 
Felix Milton? Yeah, I certainly have. Very odd customer. He lives near me. He throws parties. Plenty of money. I'd like to meet him. Could you arrange it for me? Oh, I expect so. Any special reason? No, no. I'd just like to meet him, that's all. Okay, mate. I'll see what I can do. Oh, here's the, uh, the waiter with our food. After lunch, I wandered about Melbourne. Few Sydney men liked Melbourne much and vice versa. The cities are too different. Besides, I wasn't exactly in the mood for sightseeing. I finally found myself outside a gramophone shop when I heard a newsboy shouting, Murder in Melbourne, paper! I bought one. And there, on the front page, was a photo of Anna. And the headline, Murder in Melbourne, Girl Dead in South Yarra Hotel. The photo they'd used was the one she'd had taken especially for me. I went into the gramophone shop. I, I didn't want a record, but I thought I could be quiet for a moment in one of those cubicles. Anna was a great one for records. A willowy young queer came towards me. I asked him for a selection of light music, and he minced off disapprovingly to fetch them. Twenty minutes later, feeling more in control of myself, I bought a record for appearance sake and told him to send it to the meteor. Well, certainly, sir. What name? Richard Quayle. Quayle? Did you say Quayle? Yes. Want to make anything of it? <laughs> of course not. Now, I thought you said Kale. And we have a long-lost cousin called Kale. Richard Kale. The black sheep of the family, you see. Why on earth had he sounded scared at my name? It didn't make sense. And I didn't believe him about his cousin. But there was nothing much I could do about it, so I went back to the hotel. There, there was a note waiting for me from Brooks. It read, You are in luck. Felix Milton has asked you along with me to a party on Sunday night. I'll pick you up at six. On a sudden impulse, I looked up Milton's address in the telephone book. Marion's, 19 Wallaby Road. I got a taxi and told it to go there. We crossed the Yarra River in much the same direction as I had taken last night. Before reaching the street where the Buona stood, we turned left towards Turak. The houses here were large and pompous. We came to Wallaby Road, and suddenly I got a shock. The young man from the gramophone shop was paying off a taxi halfway up the road. He then opened a small white gate, ran up the garden path, rang a front doorbell, and was admitted into the house at once. The name of the house was painted clearly on the small white gate. Merriam. On the Sunday, Brooks picked me up punctually at six and told me we were going to collect an English girlfriend of his, Valerie Harding. He didn't tell me how beautiful she was. Whew. She was the full treatment. Red hair, green eyes, white skin, big bust, small waist. Mmm, a real dish. She was wearing something red. <laughs> and she was laughing. <laughs> well, really? Deaf as well as dumb? Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say? <laughs> Nothing sensational. I only asked you what you wanted to drink. Oh, um, uh, whiskey, please. With, uh, water or, uh, soda? Yes, steady on, old girl. Mm -hmm. Quail was Anna Matheson's fiance. Oh, no, it's my turn to apologize. How stupid of me and how dreadful for you. Forgive me, please. She was so beautiful that I'd have forgiven her anything. We had drinks, and then we piled into the car and made for Marion's. We reached it around 7.45. It was dark by this time. Felix Milton came to the door himself. 
gallery. You gorgeous creature. Marion's welcomes you. And you, Guy Brooks, you lovely, lovely boy. And who is this? A friend. Oh, goody. Felix Adore's friend is. Good grief. Don't let it worry you. The food and drink makes up for everything. Valerie! Beautiful Valerie and the lovely, lovely guy have brought a delicious friend in. The name is? Richard Quayle. Oh. We'll call him Dickie, shall we? Dickie, Ducky, Richard Quayle. Isn't that amusing? How do you do, Felix? Yeah. Richard wants to meet everyone. Of course he does. Everyone, Dickie. Now, uh, this is Betty Wall. Hello. And Hello. her very handsome husband, Frank. Hello there. Hello. This is dear little Janie Thomas, the sweetest girl in town. Hello. And this is her current boyfriend, Larry French. How are you? This is Gordon Frotcham, who works in our best gramophone shop. We have met. Yes, we have. This is Louise Colcott, whom I've known for well over a century. Oh, Felix, what a thing to say. This dear creature is Walter something or the other, such a clever little composer. And this is Walter's angel brother, Jeremy. <laughs> well, that will do to be going on with, won't it? Yes, well, indeed. <laughs> now, I'll put you an enormous stinky and sit you down by Betty Ward. She'll tell you all about everyone. She's a perfect mind of information. <laughs> well, now, here's your drink, And here's Betty. <laughs> See you anon. Oh, quite a racket. <laughs> there are always is at Felix's parties. Felix is a kind of cult in Melbourne. Everyone comes here. It's a lovely room, isn't it? Mm, seems built. Mrs. Ward, what's that place through there? Huh? Oh, that's the Chinese bar. We seem to have got a yen for the Orient. Look at all those knives and spears and things on the wall. Yes, Felix is mad about collecting things. And people, if it comes to that. Mm, so it seems. Um... Did you by any chance know the girl Anna Matheson, who was a friend of his and who's just been found dead? Oh, yes, I did. Why? She was my fiancée. Oh, Mr. Quayle, how awful. Oh, I'm so sorry. You must be feeling dreadful. Yes, pretty grim. I hear that she was here the night before she died. Yes, she was. Were you here? Yes. Well, who else was here that night? Oh, dear, I'm not sure that I can remember. Well, why? You're not connecting this house with the murder, are you? Oh, no, of course not. But I, I want to know who our friends in Melbourne were. I'm from Sydney. Oh, well, let's see. Um, there was Frank and me, mm -hmm. Mrs. Barking, but she's not here tonight. Uh, Gordon, Felix himself, of course. Yes. Janie Thomas, Sue and Bill Saunders, who aren't here either. Uh, Larry French, Valerie Harding and Guy Brooks. Guy Brooks? Mm. But he never told me he knew Anna. Wait a minute, I met him on the Melbourne train from Sydney the day after that fire. Oh, he must have gone up to Sydney for the day. He's got business there, too. Why hadn't Guy told me that he knew Anna? He'd been very keen to make my acquaintance on the aircraft. Why? I looked at Anna's friends. Janie was sweet 17 and all that goes with it. Her boyfriend, Larry French, was small, dark, good-looking, about 24, and slightly too pleased with himself. Betty Ward was pretty and 30-ish, and her husband silent and sunburned. Gordon and Valerie I'd already met. Felix bothered me. There was something phony about him. He made himself out to be a big fool, and I could have sworn he wasn't one. Not by a long chalk. It was at that moment that it happened. I was just saying to Betty... Oh, by the way, I suppose you've never come across a chap who lives at the Buona Hotel called Lennon, have you? 
My dear, how too stupid. Whoever switched off the lights, please switch them on again immediately. Now, thank you. Now, who played that silly trick? I nearly spilled my drink over my suit. Well, I don't know who switched the lights off, but I switched them on. Oh, thank you, guy. Oh, dear me. Betty's fainted. Hi, quick. Now, thank you, boy. Help me bring her over to the window. Uh, Richard Dahl, there's some brandy on the table behind you. I was kneeling by Betty, and as Frank and Felix carried her to the window, I got to my feet, slipping a little dagger that I'd found on the floor into my pocket. As I did this, I saw that Gordon Frodsham of the gramophone shop had seen what I'd done. He said nothing, however, and the party broke up soon afterwards. Valerie off to drive me home. As we approached her house, she asked me in for a drink. <laughs> nothing I should like more, I replied. As we went through her door, she suddenly kissed me full on the lips. shouldn't have done that, darling, but the business of the lights going out and Betty Fending rather frightened me. Hmm, do you only kiss men when you're frightened? I thought it was my beautiful brown eyes. <laughs> what? They're rather my type, I'm afraid. Did you mind me kissing you? Mm, why should I? Oh, I thought you might when... When? When? Well, I, I, I mean, I thought you might so soon after... Well, I mean, Anna was engaged to you, wasn't she? And I... Yes. Thought... Yes, Anna was engaged to me. So perhaps I'd better be going. What about your drink? Oh, another time. When shall I see you again? When would you like to? I'll ring you tomorrow. Good night, darling. Good night. Valerie. When I got back to my room at the Meteor, I felt in my pocket for the little dagger... It was gone. Monday was a cloudy, blustery day. I was at Russell Street Police Headquarters by 10 o'clock, having decided to tell Inspector Peters about the dagger. In broad daylight, I could hardly believe it myself, and I, I didn't relish having to describe it to such a stolid individual as Peters. Police Headquarters is a ten-story brick building. Inside, it looks rather like a large newspaper office. I asked for Peters at the inquiry desk, and he came to me almost at once and took me to his small square office in the basement. The going was as rough as I'd feared. Very interesting, Mr. Quayle. But when you saw the dagger on the floor after the lights had been turned on, why did you tell no one? And why didn't you inform the police as soon as you left the party? I don't know. Instinct, I suppose. Instinct? I don't quite follow. Well, after all, there were plenty of curious weapons stuck on the wall, and it could have fallen off, couldn't it? Anyway, I was with a lot of strange people, none of whom I particularly liked, so well, I thought I might as well take it home while I considered what I should do about it. I must admit, it is an unlikely story. You're not believing it yourself. And it was only when I found it had been taken from my pocket that I realised its importance. Besides, I, I'd drunk a fair amount. Miss Matheson's death had given me quite a shock. I see. I'm extremely sorry. I was a damn fool. Now, forgive me if I appear a little dense, but when you say you took Miss Harding home, do you mean to her home or to the media? You're being damned rude. To her home, I take it. How long did you spend with her? Oh, about five minutes. Look, have you found Leonard yet? All in good time. And by the way, Miss Matheson's mother is now in Melbourne. She's staying at the media and getting in touch with you. Good day, Mr. Quayle. Oh, hello, Mrs. Ward. 
Hello. Visiting the police? How did you get? How are you feeling today? Fine, thank you. Do you often faint? No. Oh, what particular thing sent you off last night? Well, I've no idea. Fright, I suppose. Fright? Well, the light went out, remember, and I hate the dark. I see. You didn't see the dagger by any chance? Dagger? What dagger? Oh, well, perhaps I imagined it. Uh, would you care to come in here and uh, have a cup of coffee with me? Uh, well, oh, I... come on, Mrs. Ward. Your husband need never know. Come and have a cup of coffee with me. Go on from where we left off last night. Well, what do you mean? Well, I just asked you if you knew Mr. Leonard. Oh. Oh, yes, so you had. Well, do you? Well, actually, I know very little about him, except... Except what? Except that Anna seemed to like him very much. Oh. Did she? What's he do? Oh, he's rather a mystery man. Seems quite well off, and yet he lives in that extraordinary little hotel. I beg your pardon, I'd forgotten that Anna lived there, too. What does he look like? Oh, he's extremely good-looking. About 45, I should think. Fair hair, blue eyes, sort of square, rather somber face. He's very tall. Mm, sounds all right. Mm, he's quite a man from a woman's point of view. Of course, he drinks, but all the women fall. Has a kind of arrogance which is irresistible. But masses of charm, too, and he's a good talker, very amusing. Mm, all the graces. Yes. Except... Except? except that he doesn't seem awfully happy. There's an extraordinary sort of emptiness in him. <laughs> Do I sound very whimsy? Not at all. You sound like a very observant and intelligent woman. My dears, how hmm? absolutely oh. delicious. Oh. A heavenly tete-a-tete in the middle of the day in a squalid little cafe. How to utterly riotous. Felix, if you find it so squalid, why are you here? Because, darlings, your hideout wasn't good enough to deceive your Uncle Felix. I saw you through the window as I passed. And I thought, what would dear Frankie say? So I came straight in to warn you that your grisly little secret is a secret no longer. Felix, you're not being in the least funny. Richard and I met quite by chance. Lovely, lovely chance. I adore it, don't you? Oh, by the way, Richard, I've just been to Gordon's shop, and he's just the teensiest bit annoyed with you. I was there when the police called on him, you see. Police? What for? To ask him about a dagger that's missing from my collection. Oh? It was a lovely party last night, Felix. I'm so sorry I fainted. It was very silly of me. No, forget it. I do so hope you enjoyed it, Richard. Oh, I enjoyed it immensely, thank you. I'm so glad. I was so frightfully worried that you might have been bored. I went along to Gordon's record shop, worrying all the time about the dagger. Had it been aimed at me or Betty? Why such a small dagger if any real harm were intended? And was it a coincidence that it happened when Leonard's name was mentioned? The whole incident bewildered me. The shop was very full, and I thought I'd never seen a more fantastic sight. Rows of young men, all with their backs to me, had headphones on, and they were crouching in silence, wriggling and swinging their bottoms to the different rhythms of the records they were hearing. Gordon hurried over to me at once police have just gone, Richard. They asked ridiculous questions about a dagger that you and I are supposed to have seen. Of course, I denied it, but... Well, I'm very angry with you. I don't know what the joke is, but... Well, it's one I can't show, I'm afraid. You saw that dagger as clearly as I did, Gordon. You saw me put it in my pocket. I deny it completely. And I'll tell you something else, Richard. If you ever play a trick like that on me again, 
I shall tell the police what Anna told me about you. What Anna told you about me? That's what I said. And now I... I must attend to my customers. What do you mean? What Anna told you about me? So sorry, Mr. Quayle. There's nothing I can do for you, I'm afraid. Good morning. I went back to the meteor in a flaming temper. At the reception desk, I found a message from Anna's mother. I rang her and invited her along to my room for a drink. Richard, dear. Hello, Mrs. Mather. Good to see you. Oh, isn't it dreadful, Richard? I don't understand that she was such a sweet girl. Who could possibly have wanted to do such a terrible thing? Well, I suppose the police will find out in the end. But it won't bring her back to us, will it? Richard, dear, I want you to know that though I didn't approve of your affair with Anna, I know you did what you thought was right. Anna wrote to me often about you both. Perhaps you'd like to see her last letter. Thanks. Mummy, darling, Richard will be coming over from Sydney to see me soon, and one way and another, our future will be settled then. It's all been such a muddle, but whatever happens, it will have been worth it. I love Richard with all my heart. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he wanted to marry me? But of course he won't. I've told you a little about Jack Leonard, haven't I? I think I'm helping a bit, though I can't get him to meet a friend of mine who is an AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, if you didn't know before. I wish he would, because they do a wonderful job. Perhaps he will later, but at the moment something pretty serious is on his mind, I think, and I may be the cause of it. I found out something rather awful the other day, and Jack has been working on it ever since. He says he won't go to the police just yet, which I think he ought to, and he refuses to say much about it because he says, I've, I've tumbled onto something dangerous. He has been away for the last two weeks, and I'm frightened. He's so nice, Mummy, I really don't know what I'd have done without him these last few months. Unfortunately, he's beginning to fall for me, and that may complicate things. Richard and I will be over to see you soon. Until then, take care of yourself. And lots of love. Bless you. Anna. You showed this letter to the police, of course. Of course, dear. How long will you be staying in Melbourne, Mrs. Madison? Until the police find out. What on earth was Anna doing at a place like the Buona? It's a dump. I mean, she wasn't hard up, was she? Well, I suppose, dear, it must have been because of Mr. Leonard. Because of Leonard? But why? Well, from what Anna told me, they, they met on the plane coming from Sydney four months ago. Well, they got talking, found out they were both unhappy and sort of teamed up. I don't get it. I suppose you've no idea what Anna meant about finding out about something awful. No. Well, I'm wondering if, as Leonard warned her, it did turn out to be something dangerous. I see what you mean, dear. I must say, I wish to God the police could find Leonard. It, it's four days already. Richard, if Anna was so keen to introduce him to friends of hers in Alcoholics Anonymous, must have meant that he drank, mustn't it? No idea. The whole setup worries me. I think I'll go to the Buona this afternoon and have another word with the manager about Leonard. So at two o'clock, I took a bus to South Yarra. The Buona Hotel looked even more depressing by day. It was painted dark brown and green, and on the fanlight over the door, the gold lettering had lost three letters and read, Boonar Hot. A different porter was in the foyer. 
Good afternoon. Uh, I, oh, can I do something for you, sir? My name is Quayle. Is Mr. Leonard in? Oh, I'm afraid he's away. Oh, any idea when he'll be coming back? No, sir. Well, I'll leave a message for him if you'll give me some paper. Oh, yeah. Here oh, you and are, uh, thank you. Tell the manager I'd like to speak to him, would you? Yes, sir. Gentlemen, to see you, sir. Question. Who is it? Uh, Mr. Quayle, sir. Quayle? Oh, the man, sir. I'll come. Oh, it's you. What do you want? I want to get in touch with Mr. Leonard. I told you, he's gone away. I gather you don't know when he'll be back. See, that's right. What time did he leave the Buona on the morning of Miss Matheson's death? What time did he leave? That's what I said. I don't know. Do you know, Roger? No, he had gone before I came on duty. No, oh, what time do you come on duty? Seven o'clock. So the night porter would know. Well, he might. When did Leonard come back the last time? The, the last time? The last time. The, the day before, sometime during the afternoon or evening. Madam would know. Oh, then may I ask your wife if she's here? My wife, she is out. I see. Had you ever met Leonard before he came to stay here? Mr. Leonard? No. No, I never met Mr. Leonard before he came to stay here. I see. Well, I'll be back. Tell your wife I'm looking forward to seeing her. Oh, and the night porter, too. I left the hotel and turned to the right up the road. After a few paces, I stopped to tie a shoelace. When I looked back, I saw that the hotel door was slightly open and that someone was watching me through the crack. I walked on until I was out of sight of the Buona, and then I crossed the street and doubled back in my tracks. I had decided to pay a visit to the Sunshine Cafe, where the light in the first floor room had been so suddenly turned off on the night of Anna's death. It was an even more depressing place than the Buona and entirely deserted. The walls of the cafe were painted with hideous murals, scarlet-faced sailors walking arm in arm with moronic women under monstrous suns. None of the tables had cloths. A mangy cat played with some newspaper on the floor. I went through the cafe into the kitchen. No one was there. I called out. No one answered. Between the cafe and the kitchen was an uncarpeted staircase, and I went up it. On the landing, there were two doors. The one on the right was locked. The one on the left opened into a small and very shabby flat. I went in. It was clean and neat and obviously lived in. On a table in the living room, I saw a pile of letters. The top envelope was clearly addressed, Jack Leonard Esquire, Buona Hotel. I suddenly had the feeling that I was not alone. But before I had time to see who was near me, something hit me a tremendous crack on the back of my head and I passed out cold. When I came to, I found myself lying on the grass verge by the side of a dirt road, looking up at the branches of a gum tree. I was evidently some way out of Melbourne. I sat up. My mouth was dry, my head ached abominably, and my hair was matted where I'd been hit. I tried to stand, which made me very giddy at first, but the feeling wore off after one or two attempts, and I staggered off down the road. Presently, I came to a newly painted, newly built little wooden house, and I had just decided to ask the occupants for help when I noticed that cars were passing at the end of the dirt road, about 50 yards from where I stood. I realized that this must be a main road, and I hobbled towards it. I stepped into the middle of the road and held out my arm. Almost immediately, a car came to a halt. Are you in trouble? Yes. Yes, I've, I've had an accident. I fell off my motorbike up the road there. Can you give me a lift? Do be careful, Bill. 
He doesn't look the sort of person we ought to give a lift to. Where do you want to get to? Melbourne. Okay, hop in. Bill. Ah, shut up. Come on. Just you wait till we get home. Oh, wait. Thanks, awfully. I sat back, thankfully, in the back seat and closed my eyes. I kept them closed. But pretty soon I was listening to every word of that conversation. Good. Well, who shall we have to make up a four tonight, then? I don't give a damn. Betty and Frank? Suits me. Betty's nice that way. Never minds being asked at the last moment. Valerie always wants to be invited days before. Valerie's a very beautiful woman. Oh, I think Betty's far prettier. Okay. What do you think's happened to him? He's in a terrible mess. He told us. Then where's his bike? I better ask him when he wakes up. He might be a murderer. <laughs> might be the King of Spain. Well, Anna got murdered. Poor little Anna. I believe you had a soft spot for Anna. You think I'm woman mad? No, I don't. I just think you get attracted rather often. Bill, I once heard a theory that people are murdered because of the kind of people they are. Do you think that Anna was that sort of a girl? No, I don't. I never could make out what she and Jack Leonard were up to. Do you think they were having an affair? Oh, he's woken up. Nearly in Melbourne now. Where can we take you? Well, I'm staying at the Meteor, but uh, please drop me anywhere in town. Oh, we're taking to the Meteor. We're nearly there. Well, this has been awfully good of you. I'm most grateful. What are you going to do about your bike? What bike? The bike you crashed. Oh, oh, that. Yes, of course. Well, I'll telephone the police and get them to fetch it for me. Sorry, my head's making me feel a bit stupid. Oh, my name is Richard Quayle, by the way. If ever I can return your good Samaritan act, let me know. Here's your pub. Richard Quayle? Wasn't Anna Matheson engaged to a Richard Quayle? Anna was my fiancée. Well, that's a damn strange coincidence. Anna was a friend of ours. So I gathered. You mean you heard what we were saying? Oh, how simply awful. I served you right. Our apologies, Quayle. We're suing Bill Saunders, by the way. The senior. Okay. I went upstairs, telephoned Peters at Homicide. He'd gone home. So I left a message for him to ring me back and rang down for a doctor and some dinner. Both the doctor and the dinner arrived simultaneously. The doctor fixed my head with sticking plaster and prescribed bed and rest in case of delayed shock. He seemed to think I was none the worse for the accident. I ate a good dinner, read for a while, and was just going to turn off my light at ten o'clock when... Just a minute. Valerie, what a surprise. Richard, oh, darling, how ghastly. Have I woken you or something? Oh, no, not at all. I was reading. Come in. Well, you look cute in that dressing gown, but why the plaster, doll? Well, I uh, I met with an accident this afternoon. Oh. I was on a motorbike and met a car head on. Got thrown into a ditch. Oh, poor Richard. How awful. Well, I, I said I'd telephone you today, honey, but I couldn't. Some friends from Perth descended on me. I've only just got rid of them, so I came along at once. Does the head hurt fearfully? Oh, I'll live. Do, do you mind if I get back into bed? <laughs> Not at all. <sighs> Go right ahead. Mix us a drink, will you, Valerie? I wasn't expecting social calls in this state. You must think me the most forward of women. I'm always telling myself that you, aren't I? I think you're very lovely. Well, I've given myself a whiskey and soda. How about you? Mm, the same. Mm -hmm. You know, 
You don't look like a motorcyclist to me, Richard. Oh, don't I? Well, you're wrong. I'm the outdoor type entirely. Not <laughs> entirely, sweetie. Thank God. <laughs> well, dear lovely brown eyes, Richard. Cheers. Oh, darling. Mm -hmm. The police visited me today. Something about a dagger at Felix's party. They said you'd found it on the floor, pocketed it, lost it. And then reported your loss to them. That's right. But how madly dramatic of you. I mean, Felix has dozens of daggers and things on those walls of his. Must have fallen off one of those hooks. Maybe. Well, don't you think it did? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean to say it's far more likely to have appeared from somewhere simple like that than to have been a matter for the police. Isn't it? In normal circumstances, yes. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, as you reminded me last night, Anna was my fiancée and someone murdered her. So I'm probably a little suspicious of anything unusual at the moment. And of everybody? I suppose so. Yes. I see. Besides, the jacket has disappeared. But Anna wasn't killed at Felix's house. Perhaps not. Who knows? She was poisoned. And it depends how long the strychnine took to work. Oh. Well, I think I'd better beat it, Richard. You're certainly not in the mood for social calls. Oh, excuse me. Yes? Oh, yeah. No, I'm afraid I can't just at the moment. I've, I've got someone with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll be along at nine. All right. Thanks. Goodbye. That was Detective Inspector Peters. I'm going to see him tomorrow at nine. How thrilling. Don't bother. I'll let myself out. Good night, Valerie. And thanks for calling. Good night, Richard. Nine o'clock next morning found me at the police headquarters again. Peter seemed mildly interested in my story about the Buona and the Sunshine Cafe, but his manner was very offhand. And he kept a silly half-smile on his face all the time I was speaking. After I left him, I went to the coffee shop where I'd taken Betty the day before to sort out a few things in my mind. The police seemed to be getting nowhere and not bothering over much. Just one more routine case to them. Peter's attitude drove me round the bend. I ordered a second cup of coffee and thought back over the past few days. I'd now met several of Anna's Melbourne friends, and I must say I didn't find most of them particularly congenial. Felix and Gordon were queers. Valerie, though beautiful and obviously extremely attractive, had taken that dagger from me. Well, she must have. Brooks I quite liked. Frank and Betty Ward seemed smart and social in the wrong way. And I couldn't quite make out what sort of a woman Betty Ward was. That faint seemed out of character somehow. The Saunders, who had given me a lift yesterday, were simply uninteresting. He was quite a decent chap, but she was a born, obviously nagged him. Larry French was too young for me and too slick. And only little Janie Thomas seemed to me the kind of friend I should have expected Anna to have. I decided to ask her to lunch. She wasn't at the library where she told me she worked, but she was at home, and she said if she could bring Larry French along, she'd love to join me. Well, of course, I said bring him. I then rang Anna's mother, but she said she'd be spending the day in bed. 
I had more than an hour on my hands before lunch, and I suddenly decided to see Gordon at his gramophone shop once again, and to insist on him telling me what Anna was supposed to have said to him about me. Gordon wasn't in the shop, but Felix Milton was. Richard Dahl, how do you find? How are you? Where's Gordon? My dear, isn't it too extraordinary? He has the measles. So childish, don't you agree? He couldn't work, though, so I'm here instead. A relieving angel, Dickie, dear. Too amusing. Oh, damn, I wanted to contact him. Will you be seeing him? Not if he's infectious, Dickie. I'm too old for spots. Always was, I'm thankful to say. I've never been handsome, but I've always avoided spots. Do you know his home telephone number? But of course. And he'd love you to ring him. He was saying only yesterday how much he admired you. He said he reveled in your shoulders. Isn't that delicious? Delicious. What's his number? Is it in the book? No. Oh, one moment, Richard. Customer. And what can I do for you, sir? Uh, have you got Tito Gobby and Rigoletto? My dear, I do hope so. But I'm a stranger in these parts. Let's have a little hunting, shall we? Are you mad about him? I am. I saw him at Covent Garden four years ago. Oh, I wish I had. Ah, here we are, right first go. Now, you know how those headphone things work, do you? Oh, yes. And the turntables? Uh, well, I'm not certain. Oh, I'm sure you're both madly mechanical. I'm not at all. Darling Gordon, who shot this is, has got the measles, poor sweet. He quite forgot to tell me what one does to start them. I suggest you press every knob in sight, and if nothing happens, we'll telephone the fire brigade or something. <laughs> All right. You do the pressing, darling. Okay. We'll have a go. You know, Dickie, on second thoughts, I'm not sure that you ought to telephone Gordon. He isn't well, you know. Can't I help you instead? Are you a great friend of his? Of course. Or why else should I be in this disastrous little shop today? We tell each other everything. Then did he by any chance tell you what Anna had told him about me? Oh, yes. Well, what was it? She told him she was frightened of you. Frightened of me? What rubbish. Well, Gordon didn't think it was rubbish. And I'll tell you why she was frightened. She told Gordon that she believed you wanted to kill her. I didn't believe him, of course, but I felt pretty bad even at hearing it. I hurried out of the shop and kept walking until it was time to meet Janie and Larry. Little Janie Thomas looked dazzling. She was obviously in love with Larry and I began to feel like the odd man out. I also found it impossible to concentrate on anything but what Felix had just said. I knew it was a lie, but it got me down all the same. I tried to pull myself together and heard myself saying brightly in a voice which sounded unreal to me. It's so good of you both to come. Any friend of Anna's is a friend of mine, and I'm trying to get to know you all. Oh, by the way, uh, Felix tells me that Gordon has measles. Oh. Did you know? No, how awful. Poor Gordon. Well, if you want to know all Anna's friends, have you met Mrs. Barking yet? She was a great friend. No. Uh, is she nice? Oh, she's absolutely sweet. The kindest woman you could imagine. Anna told me in a letter that one of her friends was an AA. Do you know who that could be? Bill Saunders. It's probably why his wife nags at him so. Oh. Of course, she'd hate him to be a drunk, 
but it annoys her that he is a teetotal. <laughs> she says it makes him conspicuous. <laughs> well, she's a very silly woman in many ways. Yes. Look at that row she made the other night. Oh, you mean when Anna got drunk? She Anna died. drunk? Oh, when was Anna drunk? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm afraid I was talking out of turn. What did you mean? Well, it only happened that once, you know. When? Well, actually, it was the night she was... Oh, I mean, the night she died. What happened? Oh, don't listen to him, Mr. Quayle. He's exaggerating the whole thing. What happened? Well, you know that little Chinese bar at Felix's? Mm -hmm. Well, Anna was in there the night she died having a drink. I don't know now who was in there with her. Do you, Janie? No, I don't. Well, anyway, Mrs. Barking suddenly came running out to say that Anna was having some kind of a fit. Apparently, she was completely tight and sort of rolling about, you know. Anyway, Sue Saunders made such a fuss that Felix arranged for Anna to be taken home. With whom? I can't remember that. Can you, Janie? No. Are you sure you can't remember who besides Mrs. Barking was with her in the bar? Well, Larry wasn't. And Janie wasn't. Because Anna was poisoned with strychnine, you know. What? And what you describe as a drunken fit may well have been a strychnine convulsion. My God. Dr. Manton told me that strychnine takes anything from five minutes to a quarter of an hour to have its first effects. Do you know what time she had this fit? It was 1.15 exactly by my watch when Mrs. Barking came out of the bar. How clever of you to notice. Not at all. You just asked me to take you home. So she must have been given the poison about one o'clock. I don't believe she got drunk. It must have been a convulsion. How horrible. Poor Anna. Do either of you two know a chap called Jack Lennon? Well, yes. I do, slightly. He happened to be Janie's boyfriend until Anna came along, so it's rather more than slightly, I should say. How dare you, Larry. Thank you for a lovely lunch, Richard. But I'm afraid I've got an appointment. And looking deathly pale, she left us flat. I took a taxi to Mintona Crescent to call on Mrs. Barking. I was pretty thoughtful, I can tell you. Both Janie Thomas and Betty Ward had obviously been very upset when I mentioned Leonard's name. Why? And why couldn't the police find him? But perhaps they had by this time. He didn't seem to be in Milton's set, yet everyone seemed to know him except Bill Saunders, who was evidently the AA man Anna talked about in her letter. Suddenly, I knew what the puzzling smell in Anna's room had been. Peraldehyde. Why hadn't I thought of it before? Peraldehyde, the cure drunks took when they were real, died in the wool drunks. So that's why Leonard had been away. He'd been on a bat and had had a cure. So he must have been in Anna's room on the night of her death. I got so excited at this thought that I nearly turned back and went to Russell Street again. Then I remembered Peter's manner and decided not to bother. Besides, the taxi was already in Mintona Crescent. Mrs. Barking's house was small and gay and the garden beautifully kept and filled with flowers. The house was red brick and the front door was blue. As I went up the garden path, I saw the net curtain at the window to the left of the front door move, and a fat white face looked anxiously at me. I rang the bell, but no one answered. I went on ringing. Still no one came. I tried to look in at the window where I'd seen the face. I could see nothing. I tapped on the window pane. No reaction. I went round to the back of the house, knocked on the back door and tried the handle. It was locked. I tried the kitchen windows. They, too, were locked. I went out of the backyard gate and hid behind a little hedge. Presently, the back door was opened, and an old black and tan Pekingese waddled furiously towards me, barking wildly. The back door was now opened wide. Shinyu! Come here, Shinyu! Naughty girl, come here at once! Good afternoon, Mrs. Barking. Who are you? What do you want? Go away. Go away at once. Come here. 
wish you knew. Uh, may I come in? Look, I haven't got the money here. Look. You didn't warn me. Go away and leave me alone. I'll send the money wherever you want. Well, I, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm afraid. My name is Richard Quayle. Anna Matheson was my fiancée. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm so sorry, whatever must you think of me. But I'm afraid you must go. They won't let you come in. Who won't let me come in? Who are you frightened of? Can I help you? Oh, no, please, no. Please, go away. No, but look, Mrs. Barking, I'm here now, so you might as well make use of me. Let me in quickly and no one will ever know. Well... Now, quick, quick, we mustn't waste time. Very well. Come in, but quickly. Come into the drawing room. This way. Now, sit down, Mr. Quayle, while I look out of the window. What's the matter, Mrs. Barking? What's worrying you? They're watching the house. But there's no one outside. They said they were watching. But who? Begin at the beginning, Mrs. Barking. I'm being blackmailed. What? They sent me a letter asking for 200 pounds and someone rang me up in the middle of the night and said that they were watching me and that my telephone line was being tapped. They said I was only to go out of the house when they told me to and to see no one. Well, have you any idea who it could be? None. Was the voice male or female? I couldn't tell. It was a whisper. Have you been to the police? No, I can't. What? But... You see, whoever it is knows something that happened a long time ago and it's something that doesn't affect me but might hurt my daughter, you see. And that mustn't happen. Yes, but you must go to the police. It's him. It's the blackmailer. Oh, Mr. Quayle, what am I to do? I can't stand it. I really can't. <laughs> Mrs. Barking, your caller is Betty Ward and Janie Thomas. But if you take my advice, you'll sit tight and don't let them in. Just let them go away. I... Now, do as I say, Mrs. Barking. I know what I'm doing. Now, just listen to me. Half an hour later, I let myself out of the back door and walked round into Mintona Crescent. I was struck by the fact that Mrs. Barking's blackmailing had coincided with Anna's death. And I felt there must be some connection. I tried to get some sense out of her about Anna's fit at Felix's party, but the blackmailing had driven every other thought out of her head. I found a taxi and told it to drive me to the meteor. And suddenly I saw that a car that had been moving slowly up the crescent behind me was being driven by Betty Ward with Janie Thomas as passenger. So they'd waited half an hour for me, and now they were following me. In fact, they followed me all the way back to the hotel. When I reached the meteor, I asked the porter to ring through to Mrs. Matheson's room to say that I wanted to send her some flowers and what sort would she like. I was told she was out. Are you sure? Well, certainly I'm sure, sir. Yeah, but I understood she wasn't well. A young gentleman called for her and they went out together about lunchtime. What sort of young man? Oh, thin and medium height, sir. Horn-rimmed glasses, speckled brown suit, waved his hands about, sir. This sounded like Gordon, but Gordon had measles. Did the young man have spots, I asked. The porter looked astonished, but he said no. I then asked him to let me know when Mrs. Matheson came in and went into the hotel writing room and wrote a letter to Peters, telling him all I'd managed to find out. I rang for a page boy and told him to take it round to Russell Street. I then ordered some cigarettes and a whiskey and soda and was settling down to do a little more thinking when Valerie and Guy Brooks came into the room. Hello, Angel. How's the head? Fine, thanks. I tried to get you earlier in the day, but you were out. Oh. Guy and I were wondering if you'd like to come to a drive-in with us. There's a good film at Glenaris with Audrey Hepburn in it, and Guy goes for Audrey in a big way. <laughs> we thought we'd have dinner after in the English Roadhouse. The food's beautiful. Well, 
Thanks. Yes, I'd like that. Oh, well, Valerie pretends I'm mad about Audrey, but not even Audrey can keep me awake at a film. <laughs> I like to snooze and look up at her adorable face in between bouts of somnia, if that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> Flattering to me, isn't he? You can see why I wanted you along, Richard. So we drove out together, and it was a lovely evening. When we parked the car, Guy persuaded me to sit in front with Valerie. She slipped a cool little hand into mine and snuggled down beside me. She smelt wonderful and looked wonderful, and it was warm and companionable having her there beside me. The dinner at the roadhouse was excellent. King prawns, roast beef and Yorkshire pudding washed down with extremely good Australian red wine, coffee with clotted cream and some brandy. We drove back into Melbourne feeling sleek and happy. Guy did the driving, and Valerie and I sat in the back holding hands. Suddenly she spoke. Oh, don't let go home yet. Let go down. Oh, not on your life, Val. It's time for Uncle to get his beauty sleep. Oh, Richard, please. You don't want to go to bed yet, surely. Uh, well, uh... Please, darling. You needn't stay long. Let's go to Heroes for about an hour and dance. We danced at Heroes for a couple of hours, and then I drove her back in a taxi to her flat. The clock in the foyer of the meteor said ten past three as I walked in. I took my key from the night porter and wandered up the stairs. When I reached my room, I hesitated. For some reason, I had a feeling of fear, almost of panic. I unlocked my door, switched on the light. Everything seemed normal, both in the bedroom and in the bathroom. I undressed slowly and uneasily. I put on my dressing gown and opened the wardrobe door to get a hanger for my suit. The body of a dead man crashed at my feet. What the hell? My God, who the... Hello? Mr. Quayle, Mr. Quayle, they've killed she and you. They've poisoned her. She's dead, she's dead. Good evening, Mr. Quayle. Mr. Quayle, are you there? What the devil are you doing here? I think you have a little explaining to do. Me? What about you? Who is this man? You don't know? Well, of course I don't. You and I are going to have a little talk, Mr. Quayle, and if it's satisfactory, I'm inviting you to a party at Mr. Milton's flat tomorrow night. The next evening, Felix entertained a few friendies to Dindins. The friendies were Janie Thomas, Larry French, Valerie Harding, Guy Brooks, Gordon Frodsham, Sue and Bill Saunders, Frank and Betty Ward, myself and Kenneth Hodges a friend of mine who had unexpectedly turned up at the last moment. Although there was plenty to eat and drink, the party took a long time to warm up. Only Felix seemed to be enjoying himself. It's not like Felix gets such a dull party, is it? Oh, we all know each other far too well, I suppose, and no one seems in the party mood, do they, Richard? I'm quite happy. Oh, I like your friend, Kenneth Hodges. What does he do? He works in a bank in Sydney. We were at school together. Hello, Valerie. Richard. Gordon, how are the measles? Oh, my dear, it wasn't measles at all. Isn't it divine? It's simply fish. Oh, fish? Or rather, the effects of eating a particular breed of fish to which I'm allergic. Oh, too bad. I do hope you didn't eat any fish when you lunched with Mrs. Matheson yesterday. Mrs. Matheson? Do I know a Mrs. Matheson? Well, that was silly, Gordon. You were seen with her. Who saw me? I did. Angels! Felix wants to talk to you. Everybody got a drink, eh? Yes. Got an orange juice, Bill? Oh, Good. Down, 
now. I want to tell you all how delighted I am to see you here. First of all, of course, because you're friends of mine. And secondly, because exactly a week ago tonight, Anna Matheson was killed. And I'm reliably informed by those divine little navy blue charmers, the police, that the suspect is sitting in this room at this moment. Isn't that exciting? So to prevent further trouble, all the doors have been locked. And we're going to have a delicious talk here to find out who killed her. Somebody here now gave Anna strychnine. And the theory is that it was given to her in this house. Perhaps whoever did it would like to confess at once and save all unpleasantness. No? Very well, then. The discussion is thrown open. Come along, Betty, darling. Home. Felix, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid this isn't my idea of a joke. Nor mine. And to show you how serious I feel, I'm going to put all my cards on the table. Ah, that will be Lynette, I expect. Rene, let her in. Mrs. Barking? Yes, Jane. Any objection? No, of course not. Good. Come in, Lynette, dear. Oh, hello, Felix. Now, there's hello, nothing everyone. to fear. We'll look after you. I'm holding a discussion group, and I've just told Frank it's a very serious one. Betty, my love. I especially asked you and Frank to bring Jack Leonard along tonight. He isn't here. Why not? Well, we rang the Buona and the manager said he was away. Indeed. You knew the manager in Italy, Frank, I understand. I? Certainly not. Strange. He claims to know you. I suppose you don't deny that you've been to Italy. Oh, yes, I've been there. Yes, you were there for three years, according to my information, in Milan, chiefly. Anyway, let's leave it for the moment because I want to tell you all a little story. Now, some of you know that Bill Saunders' father bought a large tract of territory in the north several years ago and left it to Bill when he died. He'd bought it dirt cheap, but as you know, well, it was in all the papers, it turned out to be extremely rich in minerals, including uranium. Well, a short while ago, in spite of security precautions, it was discovered that samples of these minerals Photographs of the land, also several important documents are missing. As you can imagine, the authorities took it pretty seriously. Investigations were made, and the suspicion for these thefts has fallen on our dear friend, Gordon Fotch. Oh, How dare you? It's lies, lies, all lies. Sit down, Gordon. I wouldn't be making such an accusation without proof. Proof, in fact, furnished by Anna which may account for her death. I'll sue you for this. Splendid. Now we turn to Frank and the manager of the Buona. Jack Leonard and Frank both knew him in Italy. They'd been taken prisoner in Tobruk and had managed to escape from their prison camps in Italy. They hadn't as yet met, but both were making for the Italian Alps in the hopes of reaching the Swiss border. And both came across the manager who hid them and cared for them in Milan where he was a waiter. Leonard was grateful to him and bought the Buona for him here after the war. Leonard's a drunk, as we all know. And that and his friendship for the proprietor is why he's prepared to live in such a squalid hotel, although he can well afford something better. And that is why, of course, the manager turned a blind eye on some of his behavior. Dear Frank, on the other hand, refused point-blank to help him in any way. It isn't true. How perfectly horrible, Frank. And, of course, Jack Leonard's connection with the Buona explained Anna's presence there, too. 
I don't get it. Well, they were first cousins. Her father and his mother were brother and sister. Anna and Jack met on the plane coming from Sydney to Melbourne three or four months ago and discovered their relationship. Both, if you'll forgive me, Richard, were unhappy people in their way, so they teamed up. Anyway, one day Anna told Jack what she'd found out about Gordon, and he, like a fool, decided to do some snooping on his own instead of going to the police. How had Anna found out about Gordon? Well, they'd become friends through their common love of music. It was Gordon, if you remember, who first brought Anna among us. They dropped into the habit of meeting for tea every day in Gordon's little room at the back of his shop. But one day, Anna got there earlier than usual. And not finding Gordon in the shop itself, she went straight through to the back room without being invited. Gordon was not only surprised, but angry at seeing her. And he hastily bundled some papers into a drawer of his desk. At that moment, a customer arrived. Gordon tried to get Anna out of the little room, but she insisted on staying where she was. He was forced to go and serve the customer, and, of course, Anna opened the drawer and found the maps and photographs, which are it's now... Lied. All lies. ...which are now with the police. Now we come to another and a very dreadful part of this story. Ever since Anna's murder, Lynette Barking has been blackmailed. Yesterday, someone poisoned her little dog, she knew, by putting strychnine in its drinking water outside the back door. The wicked devil. Oh, there, there, and it's all. Unfortunately, although her blackmailers talked to her on the telephone several times, Lynette couldn't recognize the voice, though she does have the feeling that it's familiar. Don't you, darling? Poor little Shinyu. Oh, never mind, dear. And that's not all. Jack Leonard was found dead last night, oh, in Richard's room at the meteor. Oh, no. No, I don't believe it. Oh, it can't be true. Johnny, don't cry, don't cry, darling. So it's not really surprising, is it, Betty, that you couldn't contact him at the Buona? But if you knew he was dead, why ask us to bring him today? Well, I didn't know when I asked you, of course. But why pretend that you didn't know a few minutes ago? All right, Inspector. Thank you, Mr. Milton. Inspector? Yes, Lynette, Inspector. Richard's enchanting friend, Kenneth Hodges, here is really our gallant detective, Inspector Peters, masquerading, so to speak, as one of us. Oh. My dear, dear friends, we must now lend an ear to the charming police inspector. Oh, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I must apologize for intruding on you in this way. But although you've not met me before, I'm in charge of this inquiry, and it seemed to me important to be able to study you at my leisure when you were unaware that you were under professional scrutiny. I would now like the answers to some questions. Oh, well, Mr. Milton, please ask your man to send in Sergeant Smith and Sergeant Cardinal, will you? Certainly. Rennie, Rennie, dear boy, march in the sergeants. Very good, sir. Now, come in, Smith. Sergeant Cardinal not back yet? Oh, no, sir. All right. And now for the questions. On the occasion of Mr. Quayle's first visit here, a small silver dagger was thrown at him or, or at Mrs. Ward. Mr. Quayle pocketed the dagger, but it has since disappeared. Can anyone here throw any light on this? A dagger? How extraordinary. A dagger. So that's what it was. What was, Mrs. Wood? Uh, that's why I fainted, Inspector. Mr. Quayle and I were having a conversation about something... I don't remember now what. About but... Mr. Leonard, I understand. Oh, was it? Yes, well, we were talking to each other when I suddenly thought I saw something flashing towards me. 
I, I thought it was a knife, and I screamed. Uh, the lights went out, and I fainted. Why didn't you say anything about the dagger when you came to? Well, I was frightened, and one doesn't always behave coherently when one's frightened. Uh, besides, I couldn't see the dagger anywhere, and I thought I must have just imagined it. I suppose you told your husband later. Well, no. No? Oh, very well, thank you, Mrs. Wood. Now, Mr. Frodsham, Mr. Quayle tells me that when he first met you in your shop, you were so frightened when he mentioned his name that you were almost unable to speak. Now, why was this? You'd better ask Richard. Me? Why the hell should I know? Very well, Richard, if you want to play it that way. Inspector, if you must know, Anna Matheson had told me that she was afraid of Richard Quayle's return because she thought he wanted to kill her. You filthy Easy, We'll deal with everything in its turn. Now, Mr. Brooks, you flew to Sydney and back on the day of Miss Matheson's death. Did you have any special reason for this trip on that day? Well, uh, it was a routine trip, though recently I've been sending the cables to my father regarding Bill Saunders' land from our Sydney office, not our Melbourne office. In the uh, circumstances, I felt it was safer. Quite. Now, Miss Thomas... Why have you recently left your job at the library where you've been working for over a year? My mother wanted me to. Why? Well, she doesn't want me to work, really. Yet she allowed you to work for a year. Why the sudden decision? The reason's a personal inspector. It may have escaped your notice, Miss Thomas, but this is a police murder inquiry. Now, why did your mother ask you to leave your job? Well, she caught me coming into the house at about four o'clock one morning after she'd seen me going to bed. She was very angry. What connection had that with your job? None. Where'd you been then? I'd rather not, sir. Now come along, Miss Thomas. Well, I'd gone to meet Jack Leonard. Jane! But he wasn't where I'd been told he would be. Where you'd been told he would be? Didn't he arrange the meeting himself? No. Well, who did? Who arranged the meeting, Miss Thomas? It was I, Inspector. Betty. Really, Mrs. Ward? Why was that? Well, Jack asked me to. He said he couldn't do it himself as he was hiding from the police and he was afraid they'd trace a telephone call. How did he get in touch with you? Well, I just happened to run into him near the Buona. He was disguised, but not very well, and I recognized him. He, he told me he was in trouble and that only Janie could help him. Thank you, Mrs. Ward. But he didn't turn up at your rendezvous, Miss Thomas. No, he didn't. But when Mother found out that I'd gone to meet him, she was furious. She said she couldn't trust me anymore and that except with her permission, she wouldn't let me out of the house. You see, she'd always disapproved of Jack. She had, in fact, made me break off my engagement with him. Which night was this rendezvous, Miss Thomas? Last Monday. Last Monday? That was the night I first heard the voice of my blackmailer. Precisely. Were you jealous of Miss Matheson, Miss Thomas? Jealous of Anna? Why should I be? Perhaps because Leonard found her attractive and was living in the next room to her, the Buana. This is monstrous. Don't answer that, Janie. You don't have to. Quite right, Mr. French. She doesn't have to. That'd make it easier if she did. Inspector, what's all this got to do with Anna's death? You're not seriously suggesting that I'm Janie... I'm not suggesting anything, Mr. Quayle. Yet. But I'm investigating two murders. And unless they're the work of a homicidal maniac, it is probable that the killer or killers had a motive. In this case, there were two main lines for us to pursue. The political and the emotional. Emotional? Why not? The two victims were emotionally involved with each other and also with some of the present company. Miss Matheson with you, for instance, and uh, Mr. Leonard with Miss Thomas. And with me. Mrs. Barking, there's no need to say anything about that. But my affair with him was years ago. 
And even if he was the blackmailer, he's dead now. We don't know that he was the blackmailer, Mrs. Barking. Oh. Oh, dear. But in any case, the blackmailer won't worry anyone again, I assure you. Well, how do you know? Because when I arrest Miss Matheson's killer, I shall be arresting the blackmailer, too. My God! But we're not quite ready to arrest anybody yet. I've still got too many suspects. All of you, in fact, who were here at Mr. Milton's party when Miss Matheson was poisoned. Well, why must it be someone who was here? Could have been Jack Leonard or any one of the Buona. Quite right, Mr. Ward. It could even have been Mr. X. Mr. X? Mm, I always call the rank outsider, Mr. X. But the favourite must be someone who was at the party. Inspector, are you satisfied that the killer's motive was emotional? No. Now, if it's any comfort to you, Mr. Quayle, I think Miss Matheson died because of the information she picked up in the gramophone shop. Inspector, I've had enough of your insinuations. I want my lawyer. There'll be plenty of time for lawyers if and when I decide to charge you, Mr. Brocham. Meanwhile, why did you pretend to have measles yesterday? I don't have to answer that. No, sir, but if the explanation is an innocent one, you'd be well advised to do so. I wanted an excuse to be away from my shop. Why? Well, if you must know... I wanted to warn Anna's mother against Richard Quayle. Anna had been scared of him. I took Mrs. Matheson out to lunch to warn him. And persuaded her to get hold of the key to Mr. Quayle's room at the Meteor on the pretext of having left some gloves behind there and to join you in a search of the room. What were you hoping to find? The... The poison, of course. Ah, another amateur detective. Was this your own idea or did someone put you up to it? Well, Mr. Frodham? I won't answer that. Mrs. Matheson says she didn't return the room key to the desk after your search, did you? I... I can't remember. You killed Leonard, didn't you? No. You poisoned him in the hotel bedroom in order to frame Mr. Quayle. I didn't, I tell you. I don't know anything about it. Well, that at least is patently untrue. Mr. Smith, ring the station, will you, and find out what's keeping Codner. Yes, sir. There's a phone in the hall. Oh, thank you. Miss Thomas, was Frodsham in the bar here with Miss Matheson when she was taken ill? I don't know. He had been earlier, but I'd already left the bar when she had her attack. I see. And you wouldn't know if uh, Mrs. Ward was there either? I don't know about the time of the attack, but she was still in there when I left the bar. Well, what do you say, Mrs. Ward? Were you there at the time? No. But you were, Betty. You were standing beside her when I left the bar to get help. Lynette, I told you before I was not there. You're imagining but it, Betty. When did you tell her before, Mrs. Ward? Well, we discussed it after we were first questioned by Sergeant Codner. Did you? Oh, well, the memory can play odd tricks at times. Uh, talking of which, Mrs. Barking, have you remembered where you put the weed killer that you told Sergeant Codner was missing? No, Inspector. I can't find it anywhere. Sergeant Codner's just arrived, sir. Ah, oh, good. Uh, sorry to have been so long, sir. But you know what these experts are like. Th that's his report, sir. Oh, thank you. Mrs. Ward, I must ask you to accompany me to the police station. But why? What's she done? While you've been here this evening, Mr. Ward, we've carried out tests on your wife's typewriter. Our expert reports that it was the machine used to type the letter blackmailing Mrs. Barking. Betty, how could you? I don't believe it. Anyway, it doesn't prove she killed anybody. Whether it does or not, blackmail is still a felony. I'm sorry, Mr. Ward. Come along, Mrs. Ward. You too, Mr. Frodsham. I'll come along with you, Betty, darling. It's all nonsense. Yeah, we'll soon get you out. I didn't do it! I didn't do it! I didn't do it! Come on, Betty. 
but she had. She confessed to both murders and the blackmailing the next day. When did you first suspect her? Well, then I noticed the discrepancy between Mrs. Barking's and Mrs. Ward's accounts of who was in the Chinese bar at the crucial time. But that could have been just... just vagueness. Agreed. Well, I had a feeling they might have discussed the original police questioning between them, and if Mrs. Ward was guilty of the murders, she would want at all costs to keep Mrs. Barking from further contact with the police. And how better than by blackmailing her? That was why I tried to provoke a quarrel between them about it, if you remember. Yes. That worked. Mrs. Ward let slip that they had discussed the questioning. And the typewriter evidence was, of course, the last piece in that corner of the jigsaw. That was very smart of you. Yes, but why was the little dog killed? Uh, to terrorize Mrs. Barking still further. It was a miscalculation on Mrs. Ward's part, as it happened. It brought Mrs. Barking straight to us. In fact, it was the killing of the dog that pinned the murders on Mrs. Ward. Ironical, isn't it? She got the poison from Mrs. Barking, incidentally. From Mrs. Barking? Yes, the missing weed killer, remember? But why did Betty Ward do it? Oh, that's where Felix Milton comes into it, really. What? Oh, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Milton's insecurity. No. Yes, he's <laughs> quite a bright boy. As I told you, the murder of your fiancé was political. What, do you mean that Betty Ward was mixed up in this secret agent racket? That's right. She was Frodsham's boss. But we only found that out after her arrest. My bet is that she allowed herself to get involved for the money. And excitement, maybe, and then couldn't get out if she wanted to. Isn't what about Frodsham? Same story. Money, too. He's an inveterate gambler, and an unlucky one. Mrs. Ward set him up in the gramophone shop, paid his debts, and he found himself involved in the spiring as a quid pro quo. Hey, incidentally, they used the sleeves of LP records for passing on their information. Oh, Ingenious, wasn't it? Milton had had his eye on Frodsham for some time, hence the spectacular way in which he cultivated his acquaintance. In fact, we already knew everything that Miss Matheson found out by chance at the shop. But then why wasn't Frodsham arrested? Well, he thought that in time he might lead us to a high up in the organization. But before he did, he had, of course, told Mrs. Ward about the incident in the shop, and she got orders to put Miss Matheson out of the way. And later, of course, Leonard, too, when she found out that he knew as well. My God. And that dagger at the party, was that meant for me? Well, not to kill you, I don't suppose, but if possible, to scare you off being too inquisitive about Leonard. Yes, but Betty couldn't have thrown that. She was standing next to me. That was Frodsham. The only prints on it when it reappeared on Milton's wall were yours and his. We're holding him as an accessory to both murders, by the way. And which of them knocked me out at the Sunshine Cafe? Neither. It was Leonard. Leonard? Yes. You see, he'd been to Miss Matheson's room on the night of her murder, and so foolishly, but understandably, he was hiding from the police. He wasn't likely to welcome your discovery of his hideout, was he? But how do you know? Well, I mean, I guessed that Leonard had been in her room, but, but what makes you so sure? Well, Leonard was a drunk. And there was a strong smell of peraldehyde in the room. Yes, I noticed that. And then the manager of the Buona came clean after Leonard's death and handed us a letter left with him by Leonard before he went to your room at the Meteor. It was only to be given us in the event of anything happening to Leonard. Well, what did it say? It said he had a telephone call, purposing to come from you and urging him to meet you at the Meteor. He was suspicious, but he was in love with Anna Matheson, and he wanted to meet you to see if you were serious about her. I see. It seems that on the night of Miss Matheson's death, he had arrived back from Sydney, where he'd been having a cure. Well, he hadn't seen her for a couple of weeks, so he went straight along to her room. Mm -hmm. And this was about uh, 10 p.m. He knocked on her door, but she was out. So he went to bed, but although very tired, he couldn't sleep, and so he took some strong sleeping pills. Now, between 2.15 and 2.30, he awoke with the conviction that something terrible had happened to Miss Matheson. He was still very drugged, but he went along to her room. 
He knocked and again got no answer. He tried the door and it was open. Miss Matheson was lying on the floor. The floor? Yeah. But he realized she was dead. He picked her up, carried her to her bed. Oh. He was horrified by her expression, remembered shutting her eyes and mouth. He decided to call a doctor, but as his hand went out to the phone, it rang. A voice he didn't recognize asked if he was Leonard, and when he said he was, the voice went on, What are you doing in Miss Matheson's room? She's dead, isn't she? He was so surprised that he said yes. The voice then said, You've killed her, haven't you? And then the telephone went dead. Leonard completely lost his head. He rushed out of the room, hung the Do Not Disturb card on the door in the hopes of delaying the discovery of Anna's body, packed some things and left the Buono immediately. Well, naturally, when Miss Matheson's death was reported, the manager phoned him at his office. Leonard arranged to meet him and told him the whole story. The manager, who, as you know, had reason to be very grateful to him, believed him and fixed him up at the Sunshine Cafe. Was the telephone call in Anna's room from Betty? Yes, of course. She wanted to know if the poison had worked. Poor Anna. Poor darling Anna. Yes, indeed. And Leonard's death? Well, Mrs. Ward and Frodsham waited for him in your room of the hotel... Roger hasn't come clean yet, but he must have been there to get the body into the cupboard. He's been supposing I'd come in. He'd probably have done the same for you. <laughs> then it was a bit of luck for me that I went to the cinema with Brooks and Valerie. It was indeed. And do you know, I thought for a while that they would have been part of the frame-up. <laughs> I think I owe them an apology. Oh, I think you do. <laughs> well, come and have a drink, Mr. Quayle. Oh. I'm sure you need one. <laughs> I'm off duty and the case is solved. Yes, the case was solved. But the fact that Anna was killed was really my fault. If I hadn't left her four months alone in Melbourne two years ago, lonely and unhappy, she would never have got herself mixed up with such a set. That's why I'm going away tomorrow. I had to wait till Ozzie retired me. But now I want to put the past behind me. I suppose I'm just not cut out for matrimony. <laughs>